Just a bit of an introduction before we look at our Bible passage this morning. The passage I felt the Lord draw me to this morning is one of the letters to the seven churches in chapter 2 of Revelation. Uh, Liz and I have been following a really inspiring Bible study course on the book of Revelation from Maranatha Global Bible Studies, and they have been a real blessing to us, although we haven't finished them yet. Now, when I spoke with Dozy back in April about what he was planning to speak about, I discovered that he'd also been drawn to the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and chapters 3. So if you missed his talk on the churches of Smyrna and Laodicea, they are on our YouTube channel. But for me, I'd like to look at the letter to the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So if you have a Bible, have a look, and if you've got it on your phone, you can have a look as well. So we're going to look at chapter 2 of Revelation, verses 1 to 7, and I'm going to read from the New King James Version. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have laboured for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Before we jump into these specific verses, let's look at some of the background. Who is Revelation for and what is it about? Firstly, this is the revelation of Jesus. It's a vision given to the Apostle John, John the beloved disciple on the Isle of Patmos. Patmos is an island around 40 miles from Asia Minor where Rome exiled political criminals. And church tradition suggests that John may have been officially banished there. John sees Jesus not just in his resurrected body, but in the fullness of who he is. It's an incredible image and chapter 1 verse 13 says... One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. 
No wonder John fell to his feet as if dead. With Revelation, there's also a much wider context that we could look at. For example, how Revelation is so closely tied to the book of Daniel, and it's specifically being about the seven years before Jesus' return. And I could get myself into all sorts of difficulties by giving various suggestions about where the rapture might happen. Pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-trib, or pre-wrath. But don't worry, I'm not going there. Dozy breathes a sigh of relief. We have start, but we have started to discuss uh, Revelation uh, in our Monday Fellowship group. And you'd be most welcome to join us if you'd like to continue with that. However, my approach to Revelation is from a futuristic position. And I believe we should also be looking from a Middle Eastern Israel-centric pers- perspective and not a Western perspective. So why do we shun away from, or shy away from Revelation? Chapter 3, verse 3 of chapter 1 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Why do we shy away? Yes, this book is about end times eschatology. Perhaps that's why. It's apocalyptic and there is language and symbolism we struggle with. However, why would our Lord Jesus give us a revelation that was not understandable for such an important moment in history when his followers need to be overcomers? And we must always remember as we read that the Lamb wins. Now, it has been suggested that children are actually well-placed to having a Bible study on Revelation, as they are in a much better, they are much better at explaining the pictures than us adults. So, when John sees seven golden lampstands in chapter one, verse twelve of our passage today, that's what John sees. And in verse sixteen, one like the Son of Man holding is uh, the Son of Man is holding seven stars in his right hand. What John describes is what John sees. And in Revelation, Scripture interprets Scripture. The answers are there. So the book of Revelation is about end times. It's futuristic. But here in chapter 2, we have seven pastoral letters addressed to the angel of, or messenger of, seven individual churches and cities in Asia Minor with specific struggles and sin. There's commendation, but there's also correction and the call to repentance. However, at the end of each of the letters, there's a statement that universalises each of the letters, not only making it futuristic, but applying them to the worldwide church that is alive during the seven years before Jesus' return and the millennial reign of Jesus from Jerusalem, but also making it relevant for the church down through history. That repeated statement is this, he who has an ear... Let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So my first point this morning is, have we an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying? All the seven letters are relevant for us today and describe every kind of church imaginable. And I'm sure we can easily point to a Laodicean church, a Smyrna church and an Ephesus church. However, our opinion is irrelevant. 
or anybody else's come to that. It's what Jesus thinks about us that matters. Jesus' opinion might just be the opposite of our own. As we read, not just this letter, but all of them, let us ask, Lord, is this me? Let's not think of other churches in our area. What we are to do is say, Lord, is that my church? And more so as the Lord's return gets closer. As individuals and as a church, which of the letters apply to us? Which one of these seven churches is our church? Can we read these letters and repent where we fall short? Let's have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Let's be open to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us this morning. Verse 1 opens with, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, It's a message for them and a message for us now. We must never forget that when we meet for worship, angels are meeting with us. They are involved with and watching our worship. And who is the letter from? The glorified, resurrected Jesus, Yahweh God Almighty. And how do we know that? Because it's from he who holds the seven stars and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Ephesus itself was one of the greatest cities of the ancient world and by far the largest in Asia Minor, on the west coast and a major seaport of Asia where goods were shipped west. It boasted the temple of Artemis, which towered above the city and which was a famous place for fugitives. However, the surrounding area also gave a criminal sanctuary beyond the reach of the law and became the headquarters for organised crime. Here they sold little idols representing the female goddess Diana of the Ephesians, which, of course, the Apostle Paul put out of business when he started to preach. Ephesus had a great sports centre and a grand theatre that was estimated to hold over 20,000 people and where the citizens chanted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, recorded in Acts 19, 28. So right in the middle of this was the church that was being written to with Jesus' opinion. So it was the meat of the pastoral letter. Verse 2 says, Jesus says, I know your works, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have laboured for my name's sake, and have not become weary. This is an orthodox church, and Jesus commends it for its doctrinal vigilance and endurance. It's a hard-working church that perseveres in its efforts to overcome in the face of opposition from false teachers and prophets. But who are those referred to in verse 2? Those who are evil and those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. I'll say more about them in a moment. But it's likely that these people named in verse 6 are the Nicolaitans. Their wickedness relates to the moral evil which their doctrine gave rise to. However, in verse 4, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. 
What a painful and shocking rebuke. The church in Ephesus had been so doctrinally vigilant, endured, been unable unable to bear those who are evil, but they'd lost it. They had left their first love. The church had forgotten from where they had fallen, the depth to which they had been redeemed. And scholars suggest not only had they lost their early love for Christ, but their love for one another. What a place to find yourself in. These Christians had departed from the redeeming love of God in Christ and perverted the faith. Have we lost our first love? Have we been distracted by various agendas or bandwagons we've jumped on or church activities that sugarcoat the gospel in an attempt to make it palatable or relevant to this current generation? Or have we lost our love for one another? Do we really care about each other? And have we taken our eyes off Jesus, our first love, and subsequently presented a gospel that isn't the transforming gospel at all? Is this our church that Jesus is describing? So grave this situation of lovelessness is that the message from Jesus himself is repent and do the first works. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross. This is amazing grace. We have a gospel to proclaim and if you haven't accepted that Jesus died for you and rose again and is returning, then I urge you to today that you can turn to him as your first love. Now there's also a warning for the church if they fail to repent. I will come quickly to you. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. This isn't referring to the second coming, but to a judgment where the church exists without being a light in the darkness. The loss of their status as a church Basically, the church would become useless and ultimately die. This removal of the lampstand statement and the consequences of really made me question, has the Lord already removed his lampstand from parts of the Church of England and within other denominations for our failure to repent? Is this why we are seeing churches closed here in the UK? Diocese struggling and some churches on their knees on the brink of collapse and not on their knees in repentance. Have we left our first love for the gospel and each other? Could, he, could or would he do that to us? Yes, he could. Lord, is it me? Could this be my church? Thankfully, there are still faithful clergy, church leaders and families and church families who repent and turn around when they are found in error. These letters certainly have relevance for us today personally and as a church family. So my second point this morning is, let's not abandon abandon the love we once had. Then in verse 6 there's the Nicolaitans, who who the church in Ephesus and who the Lord himself hates. Who are they? Are they amongst us today? Firstly, they were were clearly a heretical Christian sect with one commentator suggesting they seduced God's people to participate in idolatry and sexual immorality. Sound familiar? 
These guys come up again in the third letter to the church in Pergamos, where they were spreading sexual and spiritual infidelity. So are the Nicolaitans at work in the church today? Thirdly, there are the overcomers. That statement again, the one that's repeated in all seven letters, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is really relevant for us today. We need to be prepared if the end times tribulation happens in our lifetime. There are surely signs we are getting close. You've only got to look at the news and try and discern what's fake news and what's real news, of course. Um, But by grace, may we be found as overcomers. But what is an overcomer? Overcomes is military terminology, suggesting here combat against the forces of the evil one. But those who remain faithful in the midst of persecution and doctrinal error give proof to their faith. And this description of overcomers is surely the primary emphasis of Revelation. And what a wonderful promise to overcomers to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise is a Persian word for garden, which was used to designate designate the heavenly garden of God. Luke 23, verse 43. This must surely suggest to the overcomer the perfect fellowship that God and humankind once enjoyed in Eden before the fall. So does this start to describe the millennial reign of Christ from Jerusalem upon his return when all things are restored? So to summarise, we hear John describing what he sees in in this first letter. We have Jesus holding seven stars in his right hand that are the seven angels to the seven churches and he's walking among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches themselves. The church here in Ephesus is commended for its doctrinal vigilance and endurance, but is rebuked for its loss of love. The solution is to repent and do the works done at first, and if not, the lampstand will be removed. But the promise to the overcomer is that they will eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the three points for us this morning. Number one, have we an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? All the seven letters are for the church universally, down through the ages, and specifically for those who will face the tribulation and the Antichrist. Will we repent when Jesus says we are in error? Two, don't lose your first love. Don't lose the first love you had for Jesus when you were saved. And don't lose your love for each other. And three, be an overcomer. We must remain faithful in the midst of persecution and doctrinal error. Being believers who overcome by virtue of Jesus' conquest 
over all the powers of evil and thus sharing in the Lord's victory. Finally, I would encourage you to go and read all the seven letters to the seven churches. For time is short and we need to be ready for the times ahead. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you will give us ears to hear what you are saying to us individually and to a church and as a church. May we be willing to repent and turn around when in error. Lord, have mercy on us. May you, Lord Jesus, be first in our lives and our love for you never grow cold, but on fire for you all our lives. And Father, may we never lose our love for one another. May we be overcomers. Whatever we may face in our lives through persecution or troubles, may we remain faithful to you and be faithful to the gospel all the days you have given us. And may we always remember that the Lamb wins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.